Hi. Hi, everybody. It's a frame rate, the show where we rate frames. So how about that? Uh, without further ado, I'm one of your co-hosts, Abe Epperson, and I'd really, really like to introduce you to the other co-host, whose name is... Michael Slame, and I'm really, really glad to be here. Like, we're really glad. Really so glad. Yeah. Uh, that so, was a very perfunctory intro. But it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mirror our enthusiasm levels, which are high. Because <laughs> I don't know well, about you, but I love this movie. I, I, like, uh, yeah, let me respond mm-hmm. to that with... I don't have a falsetto or I'd do it, but yeah. We are talking... Strange, Strange Brew. Brew. Strange Brew. And uh, I think, uh, well, first of all, we have to thank Jeff D., the Small Beans patron who requested this film at the Pick the Flick tier, which is one of our favorite tiers and helps keep the site going. So uh, feel free to pick a flick if you so choose. But thank you, Jeff D., for picking Strange Brew. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, good pick. The be- it's a great pick because the back uh, we covered freaked on this show, and I think this is going to be a similar episode. We've also covered UHF. That's true, and these are and, like these are comedy yeah. writers' movies. These are movies that are beloved by people in the field of writing jokes that aren't necessarily as well known to the general movie viewing audience, but are like highly respected by the people that appreciate like the formulae behind jokes, how jokes work and joke construction and strange brews right in there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's alarming to me. Actually. I thought everybody knew about this film, especially comedy writers Mm -hmm. after taking index of like, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm recording, uh, you know, Strange Brew. A podcast about Strange Brew, yeah. What's that? Really? 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 I am surprised. Our our, group? Wow. Yeah. I was very surprised because I know it's a cult movie. I know that it's it's not by any stretch of the imagination like an unknown completely, Uh, but I expected a lot more than like a UHF and definitely more than like a Freaked. Like, I always thought that this was kind of like one of the mantelpieces of, because we'll talk about it later, how it jump-started like a lot of types of movies and comedies for the next two, three decades. Oh my God. In a lot of yeah. ways. I think a lot of people agree that like the Mike Myers run, despite what happened to Mike Myers over time, is one of the finest SNL runs. Wayne's World and Austin right. Powers are great franchises, and... I would argue that neither of them would exist without Strange Brew. Strange Brew developed the feel for how to do movies like Wayne's World. And if yeah, so, a sketch movie. Yeah, if you're unaware, Strange Brew is based on Great White North, which is a recurring bit that Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, the two stars, would do on a show called uh, SCTV. SCTV. Sorry, I was going to say Fridays, which is yet another SNL precursor, mm-hmm. but no Canadian SCTV yeah. Second City Television, which grew out of the improv sort of system in Canada, which was called Second City. Here, the dominant one at this point is probably Upright Citizens Brigade in the states, but uh, Second City is is huge in Chicago and it's very big in Canada. And they had a TV show, 
And one of the most popular bits was this thing where Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, exactly like Wayne and Garth, dude, exactly, um, do a public service television show from their basement. And they're two, like, teen losers who just talk about shit. And one is dominant a la Wayne, and one is, like, the kiss-ass a la Garth. And uh, and this just predates it. And I I love Wayne's World, too, but I think... Mm -hmm that uh, Dave and Rick deserve so much credit for sort of spawning this, like, two shitty weirdos in a basement doing a public service television show sketch. Right. Go, right. You know, is concerned. Yeah. And, like, most sketch comedy, like, converted to um, films, like Kentucky Fried Movie and, like, of this day and age. Like, the plot is pretty simple. I can summarize it in basically, like, a sentence. Go for it. Or two, which is after, uh, like, a failed premiere of uh, their movie, uh, The Brothers. It gets uh, matter really fast, yeah. Doug McKenzie are strapped for cat beer money. So they uh, go, they have, they hatch a plan to go to the Elsinore Brewery to get a refund on beer by putting a baby mouse in a bottle while there they actually get a job and uncover a plot involving mind control and a hostile takeover of the Elsinore family business by Brewmeister Smith played by none other than the fucking legend Max von Sydow. Yeah. I know. Is it Sydow? I never know whether to say Sydow or Sydow. I don't know. Okay. I always think Sydow. But Max von Sydow, uh, famed, for playing creepy villains is mm-hmm. used perfectly in this movie as a creepy villain that is not to be taken seriously. Yeah. I also see in this film a lot of precursor to the Hank Scorpio episode of The Simpsons. Max right. von Sydow is, is, is like Hank Scorpio. But the brilliant thing about The Simpsons episode is Hank Scorpio is genuinely friendly and helpful. Right. He doesn't have that. He is evil. No, he's just cruel to you. <laughs> yeah, but but it's the Bond parody thing nonetheless. And yeah, it's uh, if you haven't seen it, Rick Moranis, who I miss so much, <laughs> is um, come back right. to movies, man. This is his f- film debut, right? Is it? Oh, I don't I know. Believe I believe it is. It yeah, up. this is okay. Moranis' first film. There you go. Uh, and they're the McKenzies. They're like middle-class brothers. God, so that's the thing I can never get over about this film is it reminds me of so many things that are great now. They're essentially the Trailer Park Boys also. Mm-hmm. So like this movie they're inspired so many things. They're they're the stepbrothers, yeah. But, uh, <coughs> pardon. Bob and Doug are brothers and have a dad who, I don't think this is in the sketches from, the, from SCTV, but in this movie it's revealed that their dad is... Essentially, Yosemite Sam from yeah. the Looney Tunes. And, uh, yeah, and I love, I wrote down, like, the whole plot of this movie is they drink the last beer and they're trying to get beer because their dad's mad that they drank all the beer. So that's it, which makes sense because in the sketches, all they care about is beer. Um, they say cuckoo-roo-cuckoo-cuckoo, and they talk about Canadian issues. And... Essentially, in this, they the plot they uncover is what God, what it's even like hard for me to encapsulate. They're using a they're using musical notes. Okay, wait, wait, no, no, there's no. a serum in the beer that allows them to take advantage yes. of musical notes to mind control people. They put a serum in the beer 
Because Max von Sydow, who's the brewmeister, also owns the adjacent, which is a bit I love, uh, hospital for the criminally insane, which is like right next right. door to the Elsinore right brewery. Yeah. And he is somehow in charge of that as well as being a brewmaster. And yeah. uh, so they're testing this uh, beer additive that makes it so that if they play different songs on the Oregon, it controls you in different ways. And they're testing it by having a bunch of mental patients play hockey because i guess canada that's just a it's a can it's yeah it's just jokes it's uh canada but it's also just like here's a here's a game in which i can like i want you to like if i can control you enough to play defense like that's pretty complex therefore i can make you go out and vote or do whatever did we ever find out what their long-term plan is once they have no he only says like first he's like first like toronto or something and then he says and then the world i love Uh, that we're literally like seeing an evil villain figure out their basic plan but they don't know what they're gonna do with it yet yeah. I don't know. It's never shown, obviously, but I want to see the scene where, like, who invented this serum? How? How did this come about? Well, we see him do, like, beakers and shit. Yeah. Like, he's got science going, and he's, like, a brewmeister, which is not – that's an actual position. Like, you have to – in order to be called that, you have to go to a school, and you have to learn chemistry and stuff like that. That's actually true. Uh, yeah. I did want to say one thing because I did not, I, I watched it as a kid. And as we were kind of, we were talking before this podcast, like it's super seminal in terms of like both of our, like I lived and breathed this movie. I ran the shit out of the VHS tape. Like I love this movie as a kid. I used to and, think that the part where, uh, what's the name of their dog? Suds? The dog? Yeah. What's the Ho- dog? Hosehead. Hosehead, of course. Sorry, because we they also constantly call each other hosers, hosers and tell each other yeah. to take, take off, off eh? take off, hoser, and uh, their dog Hosehead, who loves beer um, and sausages. There's a, it's so <laughs> fucking stupid, you guys. It's such a great movie. I thought that the shot where the dog. Uh, cops or authority figures come to like scope out their house and their dog is hiding on the roof to like see what's up and it it notices that the cops came and it rolls (laughs) I can't say it without laughing it rolls up the roof I can't describe it perfectly enough but for many years as a child I thought that was the funniest moment in any television show or film. I would have dreams about it. Ho- I, all, yeah. The unfurling of the cape as Hosehead is flying. Yeah, Hosehead the dog <laughs> rules. Just a, just a fucking red hair. Like he, he's just a fucking. He's just perfect. It's just like it's the ambition of a sketch movie. Just saying like, and it paved the way for sketches sketch-esque like segues and yes. nonsensical logic yes. in the flow of narratives for movies like it's farce in a way that like things like anchorman and later comedies are still very much using whenever they want they just blow up a scene and make it about the relationships of characters rather than the expected or logical progression of the story and it's just like how are they going to solve this well it's a deus ex house head like he just yeah. can fly i guess but if you si- give him enough fear and like cutting back to the be- the very beginning of the movie is the mgm lion roaring 
And then right. it looks sleepy and it belches. Right. And the camera pans around the ring that's around the lion's body. And you see Doug and Bob going, oh, the lion had too much beer. It has to belch. Maybe we need to crank it like an old car. And they crank the tail. And they're like, oh, the it's lion looks line. mad. We better get away. It's a real lion you're cranking right yeah, now. Yeah. And that... My point is that they took a bunch of risks that paid off for subsequent generations of comedians tenfold mm -hmm. because they basically were one of the first groups to have to figure out how to make a movie out of a sketch. We have this sketch series that recurs on our TV show and it's so popular that people want a movie and it makes financial sense to make a movie. But the sketch is always just them sitting in front of this map of Canada talking. So what the fuck... It's the same problem Wayne's World would face someday, but they faced it first. What the fuck is the movie about? And they experimented with so many different ways to transition between sketch world and film world that some work and some don't. But I think at the end of the day, they're like Newton. Like they're the physicist in the lab doing all the early experiments that clears all this shit out of the way and establishes rules where future sketch movies owe so much to going, oh, we could do that. It worked for Strange Brew. It worked for UHF. Right. And uh, yeah, like I love that it starts with a normal episode of their show and then they point out that they're doing a movie so it's widescreen and they back out and they're like, so this map that's always behind us, there's like new parts there. What's that there? Oh, that's Alaska. -y. Oh boy! Wow, we got Alaska in the movie now. Like, um, and they also don't look like Alaska, or like it's like a shitty map. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I fucking love that. And this harkens to things like Austin Powers too, having all the amazing cameos in the first scene uh, when they. The difference between sketch and a film is he starts to do the cuckoo-roo-cuckoo-cuckoo and yeah. it becomes like a lush orchestral score immediately right. <laughs> it comes out of his mouth. Speaking of mixing that, uh, okay, so this is a movie that like at, in the beginning sequence, as they're introing their movie, inside their movie. Yeah, uh, which is which a wonder, by the way. Right. So like performance-wise, they're very tight as well. Right, yeah. Uh, Bob McKenzie, at one point, who's Rick Moranis, says, so uh, sit back and uh, get some corn and uh, let's have a... Uh, uh, it's movie time. <laughs> mm -hmm. So in a movie that has that, uh, <laughs> it's also, if you look at the basic plot, it is based on William Shakespeare's Hamlet. I w okay, I wrote down the note in Act 3, wait a minute. Is this it's, Hamlet? It is. The castle <laughs> in Hamlet, Hamlet was Elsinore. <laughs> yeah. The heir to the Elsinore fathers was murdered by her uncle, who's Claudius. Yep. In this movie, his, his name, name is Claude, Claude. And he comes back to her as a ghost. <laughs> yes, which is, in my opinion, it's funny because their defense would be, we stole it from Shakespeare, eh? Take, yeah, exactly, take off, Hoser. Exactly. It's great. But yeah, like, yeah, Shakespeare, man. Love that guy. The fact that... So the nominal plot is there's a pretty idealized, perfect, nice woman, which is its which is an '80s trope, which is its own issue. But mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. who's perfect in every way and being taken advantage of? And totally of course, loves what they do, even though they're fucking. Even know, though they suck, they fucking they suck. suck. Objectively suck. Yeah. We love them, so she loves them. She gets mm -hmm. that they're trying their best or whatever, and. Uh, 
yeah, the the plot is as basic as it can be. She uh, she's the rightful heir to the to the brewery, but her uncle Claude Max von Sydow murdered her father and is going to use it for mind control in an unspecified way. We never get around to finding out about, and uh, because of that, the dead dad comes back as a ghost. Have you through a video game? Do you remember the show Ghost Rider? You didn't have TV huh? as a kid. Ghost Rider was like a forgettable children's show, so you're probably not aware of it. But yeah, I didn't really. No, I don't know. There was a show where a bunch of kids solved mysteries with the help of a ghost, and its only ability was to appear as an orb and write things on screens or in the sky. And basically, her dad is Ghost Rider. And um, I just thought it's funny that I thought I was going the whole movie thinking. This is kind of unforgivably weak storytelling that the dad just solves everything as a ghost. And then and then like 70 percent through the movie, I go, wait a minute, that's Hamlet. I'm not allowed to think it's bad because it's Shakespeare. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a spine for them to do scenes where they get to say shit like back bacon sandwiches. Well, yeah, it's Hamlet plus the three things they're known for, which are beer, hockey, and back bacon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and it's it's basically a joke machine movie. Um, and I feel like a good way to go through it is to go through the jokes that really hit us this time. I uh, I love, again, I can't stress enough how much I appreciate how meta they get, how quickly, because I think that paved the way for a lot of like tried and true ways of transitioning from a sketch to a film. But right. um, they basically start the movie by saying that they made a movie and you're about to watch it. And they cut to... It's hard to describe because it's so meta, which makes it brilliant. But they cut to the type of movie that they, the characters, would make if they made, if they were tasked with making a movie. So it's like home video footage in a hand, handy cam of them playing aliens and like the Star Trek crew landing and fighting yeah. aliens. And they give you impression, the impression that that's going to be the movie. And uh, one of the lines is, Oh, hey, fleshy Adam mutant. Are you friendly? Eh? Oh, no way. Eh? <laughs> and, uh, they uh, basically then pan out. So if you're tracking, this is an MGM movie. We pan out and reveal, no, it's a sketch being filmed in the basement of Bob and Doug McKenzie. Then we cut to, no, it's a movie that they made on their home video camera. They, the characters. And then we pan out further and see that they, Bob and Doug McKenzie, are performing on stage. Like as if it was like Kids in the Hall reunite for a live show at, Car at Carnegie Hall. They're on stage and they start to do the baby mouse in a beer bottle routine, which was a very big sketch they did on SCTV. And it pans to the audience of this now stage show going, they did that on the album. This is a ripoff. Everyone get your money back and leave the movie. So it's like four layers of meta. And I just think it's such a strong start for a movie like this. It it breaks reality down so thoroughly that they're saying, look, there haven't been a lot of movies like this before. Fuck everything. Fuck everything. It's a play. Yeah. It's a movie. It's a sketch. It's a TV you'll, show. You'll it doesn't it. Just, matter. Yeah. Now we're ready to go. It's very, it's like, 
it's smarter than it seems at first glance as far very as much is. like because they're yeah. doing plant and payoff within that first sequence where one of the th- tips that they because then in the stage show they're talking about they they plant the mouse in the bottle thing yes which becomes a plot for beer but they also plant the moth if you just bring a big tub of moths in two movies there they'll be attracted to the light of the projection and so you can like get money back for watching the movie uh if you don't like the movie and they then do that trick in order to get their money back on their own movie on their own movie because so it's like there it's it's still and this is like all within five minutes the joke is that in the first five minutes the characters tell you, the audience, that this movie sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and they release a jar of moths to block the screen so that everyone, including them, can get their money back for this shitty movie. Right, right. It's basically <laughs> so just they good. take a mulligan on the movie, scripted mulligan. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking great. It's it's a great way to start the movie that doesn't really, like, why is this a movie? Now, obviously, like, I, I reference, like, Anchorman and stuff like that. Now, in today's kind of format, we're fine with movies, like, breaking convention. Right. And even in, before them, Monty Python, Monty Python like, played the, with these ideas, but they go but in so hard. 19, yeah. In 1983, they are literally teaching people that this is the type of movie that you're going to experience. Yeah. And they had to set that up with a sequence like that. That's very smart because if they just started doing it willy-nilly, people would be like, this is off its rails. But because they show us from the get-go that nothing is sacred, they're essentially enabling us as the audience to be like, just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy that you're going to see a movie that for no reason at some point, uh, like there's just basically a dog that can fly and he's going to arrive at Oktoberfest and everyone's going to think he's a skunk and they're going to run away. You know? Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause spoiler alert, Abe and I sort of come from the brain space that what's truly impressive in a film is that it's this brief period of time, one to three hours. Thanks Scorsese, uh, where <laughs> you, where you create a pocket universe and you set the rules and the greatest films are the films that establish the rules of their own universe with such a sure hand that then all the payoffs including breaking your own rules are so clear and impactful because they knew what they were doing and they knew why they did it and you can even do a movie as has been proven time and again where the rule is there are no rules and I don't share the rules with you. As long as it's clear that that's what you're doing and there's a reason you did that. And I just think honestly there are weak mo there are mo there are stretches I get bored where I think the joke ratio should be higher and we'll get to yes. them. But I I do put this film up with great films because of the attention to detail on every level. And I don't care if you're making something about truisms that strike to the core of the human experience or stupid jokes that mean nothing. If your attention to detail is high, I appreciate you and I respect your movie. And I respect this movie very much. Um, yeah. I'm also sad that it immediately smashes to a title card that says... The Adventures of Bob and Doug McKenzie, colon, Strange Brew, which implies to me that if this movie had made more money, it was going to launch a franchise. 
Uh, right, like and a it, na- National Lampoon. Yeah, and it didn't, so it didn't, and I'm sad about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's that's it's fine. Yeah, that's fine. It, we get this wonderful little thing. I, I am sad about that. Uh, but they hey, were, it might have they're, fallen they're off. Great characters. Yeah, so I'm happy to have this one. But basically, they go home from the set of their show, which b- fell apart in the sense that reality unraveled, and uh, they meet their dog Hosehead, who's the only other character in the movie who's also from SCTV, like reference. Um, mm-hmm. Their dog Hosehead, who loves to drink beer, so they feed it a beer. It turns out to be the dad's last beer. Uh, and this bit, I think, deserves unpacking because it's an equally amazing like meta bit. His, Their parents, who we never see, they're treated like Charlie Brown parents, are watching Looney Tunes, for some reason Mm -hmm. they're watching classic looney tunes Mm -hmm. and as a result we only see one shot of that establishing that that's true then we cut back to bob and doug undergoing this little comedy problem where their dad asks for a beer and they slowly realize in pantomime that they just fed the last beer to their dog hosehead and they're out of beer and they do it in perfect synchronicity with the Looney Tunes soundtrack that is diegetically playing. Yeah. Which turns this movie that they're trying to teach the audience of the early 80s, this isn't like a normal movie. It's a sketch movie. They found a way to diegetically have Looney Tunes score accompany them in the first 10 minutes. So you're like... I understand. I understand what this is. And I just endlessly respect their ability to know what they are and convey it clearly. Yeah, and the ability to, like, essentially, because why we love film is that it's a truly transformative medium. I can show you a still frame of a photograph and play no music and all of a sudden movies is photographs. I can do a painting as well and it's painting. I can show you just black frame with music and it's now just music. Or I can put it all together and it now is anything it wants. This is playing with that in the same way that it dives deep into the medium to such an extent that it basically is saying like, well, if genre is also like a toolkit, I can make it a Looney Tunes as at any moment. I can change gears and make this uh, something that it's like, oh no, this is like a heartfelt moment. You know, mm-hmm. here's a trope that we're all very aware of. This is all of a sudden like, you know, Schindler's List or something like that. Like these movies that do this all the time, now this is a familiar hat that we're witnessing. This did not really exist at this point. In 1983, it wasn't really what I would say culturally relevant or seen by the mainstream. The kind of frenetic, like genre switching that, like the Mighty Boosh did, but way later. And I, I, the only one that comes to mind for me is Monty Python does proto versions of this, but this goes further than Monty Python did when it comes to. We're Looney Tunes. Now we're one of those 80s movies like Breakfast Club where you actually care. Now back to Looney Tunes. Now yeah. Simpsons. Before it's the Simpsons. genre mesh. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> because Money Python, for all it is, it's like seminal, you know, obviously. They did meta. Uh, they did meta with, like, very early. Yeah. It didn't do the meta as much as it wanted. To, it had a very strong voice behind it. And it played like if you look at Life of Brian, 
you see how it's like, oh, we're playing with the idea of Christ. We're playing with the idea of like, what if it's just normal people? Right. Let's enthusiastically and only focus on like how normal people would react in those times. So it's a role. It's it's all about the game. Uh, here, the game can switch gears on a pin drop. You that's know, it's true. Just, that's what it is. I guess I just have to bring up. I think there's one moment, and it came about organically because Holy Grail was so horrible to shoot. It was such a miserable experience right. that the they all agreed literally coconuts. out of desperation to wrap it up with the ending that's now on the film, which is that oh, right, right, they right. had to shoot a big scene that's like a castle invasion scene and decide what happens with the Holy Grail. And everyone was so sick of shooting and like Graham was drunk every day and really struggling with alcoholism. And if you read the stories around the shooting of Holy Grail, it was so terrible. That's where the idea came from. What if the cops just catch up with us, modern day cops, and they say, you're under arrest for the various people you've killed throughout the film. And that's the end of the movie. And what's amazing is it's almost like which never happened. Newton discovering gravity because an apple fell on his head. But this idea of an accidental discovery, I do think there was an accidental aspect to Monty Python being arguably the first comedians to say, what if the movie just completely breaks down into not a movie anymore? And a whole generation of kids watching it and going, that is the funniest shit I've ever seen. Because I I didn't realize reality could break that much while I was watching a movie. And then just ran with it. So so I give Monty Python that, the ending of Holy Grail. Oh, for sure. But Strange Brew definitely has a more masterful control of... They went in from square one going, this is what we're doing. We're going to reskin movies to be something that's constantly just changing meta genre. And you're just going to have to accept as an audience, you're smart enough to know, oh, now it's a parody of the sketch I'm familiar with, which is the reason I bought the ticket. Oh, now they're pretending that they're doing the sketch on stage and I'm sitting in the audience, but I'm also seeing on screen the audience that represents the fake audience that's watching them doing the sketch from TV on stage. That's actually surprisingly complex to yeah. to communicate instantaneously. And they had the confidence to go, they'll get it, eh? Like, just throw this they'll shit at them. Yeah. yeah. Like, everyone's going to get that it's a joke that Max von Sydow is doing this. Because Max von Sydow is like the... Gary Oldman of this time. He didn't do movies where you didn't take him seriously. This is the Mm. first movie where he's like, I'm going to do everything the same. The only difference is you, the audience, know that I'm supposed to be funny instead of serious. But from his own point of view, Max Van Sydow takes everything seriously and plays everything like a legitimate villain. Uh, He doesn't act wacky. But it's like, it's a proto-Dr. Evil where you're like, I understand you're not acting wacky, but you're ridiculous based on the facts of this world. So this is now funny instead of scary. Uh, Do you you know how, um, do you know how he got the role? I would assume because of his reputation, like his meta reputation as always playing a creepy guy. Well, they they scripted it for him in particular because they thought it would be hilarious, which is (laughs) like that's uh, a comedian's like 
typical kind of thing. Uh, they didn't think in a million years they would actually get him, but turned out that a uh, producer of the film and president, or not producer of the film, but the president of MGM had just produced Victory, uh, which was in 1981, which it's about the soccer players in the concentration camp. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't even know. It's called Escape to Victory, I guess. Oh, I didn't That's know weird. that either. I saw it in European it. history class in high school. What the story goes that uh, he reached out to him uh, and they sent the script instead of like hashing it out with like agents and the producers of like why he should do the movie. Uh, Cedow just ran it by his son, who is a huge SCTV fan. <laughs> And his son convinced him to he's take like, the role. Oh, do it, eh? Do it, Hoser. Do it, eh? And he's like, I'm sorry, what are you saying? I'm saying do it, Hosehead. <laughs> do the movie, eh? <laughs> I, will, I will be in minority. Uh, yeah. Also, he'd been in Seventh Seal at this point with Big yeah. Like, the guy's got a career that's just won't stop. It's just insane. But, um, yeah, it's just too... Think that these two schmucks, especially like Rick Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, who mm. also directed the film, yeah, uh, one of which is film de- debut, both of which are just like hooligans, which they talk about know? again. It's meta at every possible opportunity. They talk about how they co-directed it. And you see signs of it being directed by them, the characters, not them. Mm-hmm. The so it's like that. Sh- that's like adaptation shit. Like Charlie yeah. Kaufman blew my mind by doing that with Act Three of Adaptation, where you realize, oh, alternate Nick Cage is now writing the movie. That shit is in Strange Brew. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're like talking. Like I want to know what the conversation was of like. I noticed that this film is based off Hamlet. He's <laughs> yeah. like, you know that I was in one of the premiere versions that history will remember of Hamlet playing Hamlet. <laughs> oh, know? yeah. Max von Sydow played a very well-regarded Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just like the the amount of things that in order to make this movie like actually exist the way it exists are so fucking ridiculous it's almost as ridiculous as the movie itself um my favorite like so another thing that i think that comedians can't help themselves with is that they had to script great lines for max von Sydow to say yeah uh my favorite of which being what the stink are they doing in there (laughs) yeah when he's getting angry outside their house i've talked about it before but my favorite is uh daniel o'brien and i he wrote the rough draft, so it's his joke. But right. um, I was uh, like in the meetings. We were going to do through Cracked a sketch for Weezer to do. And they ended up going with Funny or Die because Funny or Die allowed them to just film themselves on their phones and mail it in. And we wanted them to physically come in, which I think is so stupid that that made the difference. But. Um, Daniel just was constantly cracking up. And when I looked into it, it was because he had written the line, uh, I got to fly turkeys for Rivers Cuomo to say. And it's, yeah. it's specifically just, just so amazing you say you did it. that it's Rivers <laughs> Cuomo disappearing in a smoke bomb after saying, time to fly turkeys. <laughs> yeah. 
it's yeah, like sometimes you have to take index of what you're doing. The joke then, is the meta awareness of who you're working with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, and I think again, I'm like Austin Powers two did it so well and they did it to the hilt where you're like, what Tom Cruise? Why the fuck is that Tom Cruise? And that's become a proud tradition in irreverent movies all the way up to right. Deadpool two, where you go, Oh, Brad Pitt was the invisible guy. That's a legitimately great. That's a hilarious joke. Um, I just think strange brew deserves so much credit, even on that front, because, uh, uh, uh parks and rec did it too with Detlift shrimp becoming like a character yeah. who got repeated lines on the show. In Strange Brew, one of the main characters, he sort of becomes a main character by Act 3, is a guy who I don't even remember his fucking name. Hopefully Abe does. But he's clearly a famous hockey player. Like, I get it. I get the joke enough to get it. Jean LaRose. Jean LaRose. Played by Angus McInnes or McInnes. I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, is he Uh, not real? I assumed he was a real famous Canadian hockey player. Is it an actor? I don't actually know. That weakens my hockey. argument. Cause my, oh, yeah. He, no, he's a Canadian actor. Oh, all uh, right, all right. I thought they it, I thought they invented the thing of like Lethal Weapon having O.J. Simpson in your movie, you know? But yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Okay. They do. He was famous because he plays Dutch in Star Wars, and they make a Star Wars joke in the movie. <laughs> he's a bad actor then. He's such a bad actor, I assumed without checking that he was a sports figure who they brought into the film but apparently he's no, a real yeah, actor he's, all right he's, he's not he's not he's been in a bunch of weird stuff as just like minor like he was in eyes wide shut as like just a guy he's just a dick Judge blocker yeah. yeah he's just like been in weird stuff uh he was in witness as a kind of main role all right well no uh, offense to that guy but i i think the weak point of the film is his arc and his performance and right. i was no, he's not he's like very subdued and like not very present mm-hmm. like he doesn't seem like he's aware of what movie they're making yeah oh i yeah. also wrote down this predates dumb and dumber which is i'm like just Watch this oh, movie yeah. and think about By that. Time. Dumb and Dumber owes a lot to this. This is early 80s. Yeah. Broken Lizard owe a lot to this team. Oh, yeah. That's probably the American analogy, yeah. if there is one. To the point where the guy the guy who works in the factory who bemoans automation killing jobs and like the evils of capitalism, I can so see a Broken Lizard version of this movie with Brendan Gleeson as that guy. Right, like That would right, definitely right. be Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to, uh, well, you take over. Do you have something you're eager to jump in with? Cause otherwise my propensity is to go to jokes. Cause I feel like we haven't proved how funny it is yet. The only thing that I thought about is, and I was reading about the, um, like on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 74%, right? Uh, off of critics. And I think that's about right at the time. Like it's such a great, and we mentioned Life of Brian, and I just watched recently, I think I found like a video online, where it's like um, <clears throat> a pretty famous interview. In fact, uh, 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 what's his name? Guy who plays Mr. Bean. Uh, Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. Uh, his sketch troupe at the time. Underrated. Like a spoof of it. Yeah. Uh, it was an interview that happened on like uh, British television that was like, they brought a film critic... And they brought like a cardinal uh, from the church, from the, of the okay. church to talk about life of Brian. Oh, and it's, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and it's mo- and it's like 
it's Cleese. It's like they're just having an interview and they're just shitting on the film. They're calling it like 10th rate Mm -hmm. and they're talking about like, why'd you do this? And it's just like the audience is obviously because they're quick witted and like Cleese is just a great order. Right. Like he's immediately got the people on his side. Yeah. Uh, And they're always clapping every time he finishes. (laughs) So that's one signal, but they're kind of doing this kind of, um, they're getting on their high horse about like, they both have their own different opinion, but one is like, you're making fun of like a very real Christian moment. And I understand what the Cardinal's saying. Uh, and I understand what the f- film critic is trying to say. And they're, they, I, I won't go into it. The but film it's, critic's like, also super negative. Uh huh. Yeah. Also super negative. Just in that, like you haven't earned it, like kind of wow. stuff, like, like the Sistine Chapel and these great works of art. Then and, like, who's when fucking we make something that sorry. is about like, like they're when, one of the strongest crews that ever had the good fortune to meet each other and work together. Right. Who right. hasn't earned it if they haven't earned it. <laughs> and this is at the time. And it's like, right as the movies like hitting theaters and he's just talking about like, like when we take these grand moments, like the, you know, like when you look at like what we chose to, there's a humbleness in artistry when we portray like how Christ died and stuff like that. Uh, and that's all fine and good. It shows so clearly how the passing of the torch from generation to generation is so mo- so obvious on the films that are just like critically panned at the time. Mm-hmm. And likewise in Strange Brew, this movie was panned by almost all of ever all the reviewers. Like they were just there's only a few that were just like it's kind of terrific because it's like surreal is like one thing yeah. one person said, but most of the time they're saying shit like uh, anyone who's partial to the Mackenzie's humor doubtless has a fondness for beer. The price of a ticket c- could buy enough beer for an experience at least as memorable as this one. Uh, so neither triumph stay nor stay home and get drunk. Don't watch. Yeah, this exactly. Movie. <laughs> like they're just they're shitting on this movie because they just don't know what to make of it. And that doesn't mean that if like someone doesn't know what to make out of your film, it's automatically a good film. Obviously, right, right, right. but. What it does say is that when you know what you're doing, kind of like, as you said, uh, they're just relentlessly, they, they, they built a system, they showed its rules, they showed how it would break. That is what they're doing the entire time, and it's wonderful. I absolutely agree. I think that, well, looking at the time, I think we should actually call out some of the jokes, because to me... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We absolutely. immediately leapt into comedy writers talking at a deep level about why this is an important film in the history of comedy. I never kind of left. Yeah. Yeah, but I want people to know that like here's why we like it. Here's what's funny about it. Um right. and I think that's such an important point you make about how especially that just because your film is incomprehensible to a current audience doesn't mean you're a visionary. But yeah. if you are a structuralist visionary, often your film will be incomprehensible to modern audiences. So hang in there. And uh, here are some moments yeah. that make me really love this movie. There's the, I forget the actor's name. He is in other stuff, but. Are he, you talking about Claude? Paul uh, Dooley? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Paul Dooley. That is his name. Good, good Paul. So Paul Dooley is trying to gloss over the fact that the dad died. You know, he's at (laughs) home with his family. Oh, do you know the joke I'm going to say? I know the joke. He goes, they're talking about the tragedy of the death and he goes, yes, yes, but we'll always have our memories. 
Uh, and then his wife goes, that's true. I mean, the colonel's dead and here we are enjoying his chicken. And we cut from close-up shots that make them look, look super rich to a wide shot that reveals that they are super rich and they're just eating KFC for no yeah. reason. <laughs> like They do live in a mansion and their table is a huge Citizen Kane table, but it just has KFC on it. Yeah, the colonel. <laughs> and then uh, the daughter goes... But why would you guys get married so soon after the funeral? And there's a long, like, silence. And then the dad stands and walks across the table and says to the mom, more bean medley. <laughs> and he spoons her some bean medley, which was a Kentucky Fried Chicken side at the time. No longer available. Gosh, yeah, I, I, I figured. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, I also thought it might just be what, like, a rich person might call, like, that yeah the bean medley it works both ways (laughs) yeah i also love the recurring bit where max von Sydow, which is very hank scorpio the first bit is that he has a world map with all these lights on it and he's looking at it while he discusses his plan and then he says to paul dooley light them up (laughs) and he turns all the lights on and he goes thank you like he just gets off on it and then later in the movie there's a part where he's sad and he goes you want me to light the map up and he goes no i don't deserve it (laughs) i don't deserve it yeah he's he's in the dumpies uh i love the bit where they so they so they definitely made like a Star Wars type of thing because Star Wars was big at the time, mm. and uh, they like they're dressed up as the hockey players because um, they they actually get they're infiltrating the brain. They're control infiltrating, scheme. Yeah. yeah, and so they're dressed up and it's very stormtroopery. Uh, so there's a scene where they actually have to do kind of like a Star Wars esque scene where they're trying to like basically in star wars a new hope like when they're breaking in to get like the i don't know what they're fucking doing in star wars they're like <laughs> getting the codes or some shit i don't know it's the one where they go into the trash right before they get the trash, the trash compactor. compactor yeah and they're just trying to get like information uh from a computer and he, he's like there's he's just he finds a keyboard and immediately immediately sits down or uh starts playing it and he's like hey this piano's got a computer eh don't know if, how to work it though figures you don't know how to work anything if it's got a computer oh yeah mr wizard yeah let me try i'm a genius <laughs> let it's me just try. such a good role a of like <laughs> and of course the big twist of the film turns out to be that by sheer chance for no reason <laughs> The theme song to their shitty basement show that they always sing, makes the hockey players like go crazy and riot. Yeah, so they use that in the yeah. climax to get out of their problem. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, when they get hired at the brewery. And they realize they'd like to stay up drinking, but they have an important job to wake up for for the first time in their lives. And he goes, uh, hey, let's not blow it by sleeping in and being late for our first day on the job, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's stay up all night. Beauty idea. And then smash cut to them asleep in the lobby of the brewery on the couch. <laughs> it's a beauty idea. They got drunk and went to work. Their, well, uh, their idea is if you don't want to fall, if you don't want to sleep in, just stay up all night. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I, uh, I love the, it's both a sight gag and just like a nonsense turn of like how to get out of the situation is that at one point they're, 
the leading lady, uh, what's the character's name? Uh, the the Pam, Pam, Pam. Elsinore. <clears throat> Pam and Bob are locked in a vat of beer. Uh, and oh, in order God. to get out, he drinks all of the beer in the vat, yeah. <laughs> which is impossible. So he becomes the size of a, a blimp. He, he, yeah, he bloats to the size of a... And one of my favorite bits is that even though he is just absolutely comically large, he's the size of an enormous vat of beer. Uh, when it, when uh, Dave Thomas pushes up against his groin to try to like get him out of there, he's like, "Oh, don't push there, man," because he's worried that that's gonna make him. Pee. And then, but then, if you notice in the background, he also goes, "Oh, that feels good, eh?" Yeah, but then he also says, "Yeah," and then also they do the thing at the end of that where he's like. Oh, I, like, they, how do we get them out of there? And obviously the answer is if you pee, uh, then you'll be normal size. So then <laughs> right. you can crawl out. But they do the opposite of that, which is he's like, oh, he's going to whiz. And then they all like back up and he just belches and the vat just explodes open. So they like <laughs> yeah. do a belch joke instead of a piss joke in order to make not the show work. the piss which i think is probably still a problem at in 1983 <laughs> they probably just right. didn't want to show a giant stream of piss right 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 uh, uh uh oh okay it's uh rick moranis is hitting on pam while he's explaining that his brother dave thomas bob i forget which is which is Bob Doug? Bob is Rick. Oh, okay. Doug so is, Doug. Yeah. He's explaining that Doug is good with electricity, which comes up later, but doesn't fucking matter. Is uh, he goes? Uh, he once got our car battery going by mixing bird feces and um, <laughs> uh, spit because it's got acid in it, eh? So do you travel often? <laughs> and it's clear that, like, he's trying to hit on her, like he's trying to get in with her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he thinks that's a good over. Bird feces and spit. Do you travel yeah. often? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you go. Let's switch off. Uh, when they were locked up in jail, uh, they had... they decide which is a scene that's been done a lot of times they decide that they're going to act like really hard criminals and yeah so that they're you know like they they can win over all the other hardened criminals and so doug's like chimp here <laughs> which is the name of he decides is the name of uh <laughs> the bob chimp yeah, yeah. here does the killing i don't like to kill i'm the brains eh like we got over $5 billion in our hideout. <laughs> Only some of it's money marketed, eh? So we're not spending it. We's just waiting. You guys like a smoke? No, eh? We want our lungs to be pink when they fry us. Hey, when we told him we we told him we don't want a lawyer, Chimp here probably just kill him anyway. Lawyers are for suckers. <laughs> no, no. Specifically, lawyers are for sucks. Lawyers are for <laughs> Which sucks. Which is my favorite thing. I'm going to try to bring that but back. But then a guard sucks. comes in and goes, Mackenzie's, your lawyer's here. <laughs> they, they shuffle out. out. Yeah. yeah. I just love how he calls them sucks like instead of suckers. Yeah. Like, just taking adjectives and, and like now, just making nouns out of just verbs and adjectives yeah. is one of the easiest fucking hilarious things that they do in this movie. No wonder it's all secret. They're cutting pirates down here, eh? <laughs> they, they think that the machine that brainwashes people is just like pirated bootleg records 
<laughs> and then he puts one of the discs in, which is infested by the ghost of Pam's father, and right. it solves something. And he goes, I don't get what just happened. And he goes, there's no scientific explanation for it. It's pointless to worry, eh? <laughs> which is like <laughs> telling the audience jerk off motion like fuck this movie <laughs> who yeah, cares exactly. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck cares in that vein, i love uh i love it when like things just digress like arrested development uses that like a speech that starts off impassioned and then just ends up being like no you're just trying to get out of a situation bob yeah. mckenzie goes oh like when he's talking to the cops okay all cops get out of your cars the cops get out of their cars okay i want to take a head count like maybe we have some breakfast some back picking sandwiches while we're waiting Okay, another thing. You all went through a stop sign back there. That's a moving violation. And my brother and I, we got a lot of parking tickets. <laughs> like he's already yeah, trying yeah. to scam the cops. Like while I have your attention, we got a lot of parking tickets, which is also a thing that they plant early in, uh, early in the movie when they're trying to get away from their premiere. Yeah. He gets another parking ticket because they just park on the sideway all the time. Yes, they do. And and while I do, I gotta point out that. By modern standards, the language around mental illness is pretty offensive. Yeah, like, that's true. This is still of the era where you treat people who are mentally ill in an institution like you would in like a Playboy comic, like a comic that would appear in Playboy magazine. Like they yeah. are like uh, in straight jackets, gibbering, bouncing around. And uh, that by modern standards is a pretty fucking rudimentary view of what it's like to be mentally ill. But at the same time, I have to uh, point out that I did laugh very much when they are put in a rubber room in the insane asylum because Max von Sydow is just trying to shut them up and they're in straight jackets and they're arguing about how to get out of the situation but then they just get into an argument because it's like Dumb and Dumber. They constantly right. bicker because they're brothers and he goes, take off. No, you take off, hoser. Take off or I'm going to do the steamroller. I'm going to do the steamroller, eh? <laughs> and they just start rolling over rolling each, other top of each other in like, their straight jackets it's so fucking brothers. funny fucking oh my brothers. god it's just so good and predating simpsons they then get put into shock therapy which devolves into them constantly shocking each other which is a i believe episode two simpsons joke mm-hmm. um i gotta there's a yeah there's a scene uh so there's a courtroom scene <laughs> yes there is uh, <laughs> And uh, after being sworn on the Bible, it's very duck soup. It's very Marx Brothers. Uh, they swear in the Bible, and both of them go, I do, I do. <laughs> I guess we're married, clerk. Oh, where's the honeymoon? Order, order, is what the judge says. Mm-hmm. Give me a toasted back bacon. Hold the toast. And then Doug <laughs> says, don't make me laugh, eh? I remind you not to speak until you're spoken to. He's starting to sound like the old man. Soon he'll be sending me out for beers. And then Doug sneezes out two bullets in his nose, which ricoch- ricochet across the courtroom. <laughs> it's just like one joke. Out- it's so fast. Yeah. And it's three different unique jokes about just they're quickly just taking apart language you know yes although i will say that i do i don't want to present this film as perfectly tight because no it's not it's not i would argue that the one thing that they sort of aired on was it still feels like ferris bueller's they offer something where they have long sequences where they try to make you really care about pam and her narrative 
with yeah. her ghost dad who invades arcade machines. And after so thoroughly breaking the world and reality and explaining to us, this is a sketch movie. This is bullshit. I think they still felt weirdly beholden to the plot. I wish they didn't care about the plot even more because there are scenes where you're like, right. where'd the jokes go? And so if someone hasn't seen this film and they're listening to this, I want them to understand that we see that. <laughs> but in the history of comedy, it's an important film. And the scenes that are trying to be funny are really fucking funny. But then there are, I would argue that there are far too many scenes where they try to be action or try to be adventure. And right, I wish right, they right. had just done what Austin Powers frankly did learning from them and we're like even the action sequences have to have jokes in them because what the fuck are we doing here it's a comedy I think it's beholden to like the convention of the time of the 80s like, this is Very what a movie so, yeah. feels and looks like and you gotta have those like that's on the you know MGM's there's like, even like a things. phoned in attempt at a love story but it doesn't matter to the point where I wish matter. they didn't and care it's, yeah. it's kind of heartless and doesn't matter to them and you can tell that as the creators they're like you can feel they're kind of beholden to it you know yeah yeah they just rather do more beer jokes and yet it feels like they still fit in like planes trains and automobiles moment where you're supposed to like care and they're not good at those moments but just watch it for the jokes you guys like for example uh my brother's a genius eh he can tell what's in beer by what his burps taste like. Your brother is dead now. <laughs> I just love the contrast between Max von Sydow playing fully serious and him. Right. <laughs> and yeah, then, like a- you said, when he's blown up, when he's all inflated in the beer can, he says, uh, my brother and me used to say drowning in beer would be heaven. Now he's not here, and I got two soakers. This isn't heaven. This sucks. <laughs> talking about his legs. His legs soaked. are in two beer. <laughs> I don't know why this tickles they, me so much. They have much, another bit that's like... But to um, refer to your they, legs as two soakers. Two soakers. Just because you're standing great. in liquid. <laughs> they have that moment, too, where um, they, they separate. So it's like Rosie... Uh, who's the hockey player and Pam and then the two brothers and then they separate the brothers because they have two jobs mm. to do so they send one to one place and send the and other and they miss each and other then, immediately and they miss each yeah immediately and that's kind of like obviously they're poking fun at the idea of like that there's real love there and it's almost really endearing because it's Rick Moranis doing a really <laughs> good acting job yeah. and be like, I, I just never been that's the first time you've been away from each other yeah yeah a lot of these then, jokes are better than we're performing them right because the yeah. performances it's, it's are fantastic yeah. the context because it's also uh meanwhile back at the ranch mm-hmm. uh, which is a term to mean they're cut intercutting so we're on they're only using the best bits so it's like cut to Dave Thomas going at the same time being like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm like strong. I don't, I don't care about my brother, you know, like, and mixing of those tones is far better than any quotation of any of those singular events could ever do justice. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's stuff like that playing with that kind of stuff. I'm, it's not, it may not be for everyone. It may not be like, this is the most, this is the funniest movie I've ever seen. Uh, especially now that we have so many movies that kind of, Oh, but comedy fans and people who enjoy uh, dissecting the formula underlying Mm -hmm. jokes will 
get a lot out of this film. And just understanding the roots of comedy as we know it. Oh, like it 15 really... years before Futurama, yeah. he's standing next to a beautiful woman in a giant vat that's filling with beer. And she says, did it just get warmer in here? 15 years before what I consider one of the funniest Futurama jokes of all time. It's just very impressive stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) From a comedian's perspective. And Max Honcito, or however you pronounce it, is in it. It's just like. Hurry up. Me brother's got to take a leak so bad he can taste it. Y'all let me out of here. I got a whiz to throw, eh? A whiz to throw. It's like the hooligans that they have is reminds me of like every time we want to do our everyman, we we turn on like the Brooklyn guy voice. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just the Canadian version of that. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like you just do it as like whatever. It's just the guy that represents like someone who's just having to think, who's just (laughs) thinking a little bit. Uh, That's what they're doing. They're just a bunch of hooligans that are just having. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just it's how can it not be more endearing than that? It, it's for all of its flaws. Endearing's it's, a great word. It's a flawed yeah. and an infinitely endearing film. Yeah. Um, even at the end, they're pretty honest about their own movie. One of the last lines in the movie is, "I thought it was pretty good. There were a couple story flaws, but in all, it was a good five dollars for me and the whole family." <laughs> yep. Yep. And I'm like, five dollars, Jesus. Jesus. Simpler times. It's 1983 money right there. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think we covered Strange Brew. Yeah. And we didn't, thankfully, do all the jokes for you because our Canadian accents are not nearly as good. It, much like Wayne's World, it is the joy of watching these two performers and their chemistry. So yeah. I still recommend giving it a watch if you can yeah. sit through scenes where you're like, why establish the story? Who cares? That is very common to 80s movies of this era. Mm-hmm. Um, it runs afoul of that. But then the scenes where they're like, Bob's there, Doug's there, they're making jokes. <laughs> it's very, very efficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not egregious. I don't want to overstate. No, no. The- I just found like compared to Freaked, which is dialed in even more. The scenes yeah. where you're just establishing that, like, oh, there's a ghost and it's helping them, and the hockey players are running through this tunnel. I'm like, I know, who cares? Get back it's to a the lower jokes. Joke per minute, or yeah. joke per second ratio. Yeah, we've yeah, refined sure. the formula even more, but they invented yeah. big chunks of the formula, so it's worth watching. Definitely. Yeah, All and right. thanks to Jeff D again. Yeah, uh, good pick for putting Great it in the pick. mix. So far, no one's picked anything. <laughs> Like Gamefully Unemployed, God bless him. A couple people have picked movies that I would genuinely not want to cover and I would return the money. Um, But so far, everyone who's picked a flick for us, I think it's been a movie that's very much worth discussing. So thanks for being like good fans, I guess. Yeah, good job. Yeah, you're you're geniuses, eh? You're Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash smallbeans for patron-exclusive content streams uh you can stay abreast of all the stuff i'm doing at ign and we have random posts where we sort of give you behind the scenes look or let you know what's up we've also recently started releasing some podcast episodes a full month early Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. check that out yeah you can buy shirts some uh video series in the works i don't know when this is coming out but there'll be some videos still yeah new series separated by the breadth of california Mm -hmm. we're still finding ways 
to bring you those video hits on top of all of this on content. Top. On top. Audio content. And new audio shows. Yeah. New, uh, new podcasts and stuff like that. Just playing with the formula. Mm-hmm. You know, just tinkering. Just having a good tink. Yeah. So yeah. go to your local Oktoberfest <laughs> and eat some back bacon. And watch out for the skunks. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to watch the movie to get that. We're not going to go yeah. into it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone. Take off, eh? This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!